Well, I haven't looked into it too much, but there is Automator that comes standard with Macs. Yeah. And you'd probably have to write Apple Script, which is immediately something I don't want to look at. But you can do a lot of automation just natively on the Mac without any extra software. Yeah. So have you written Apple Scripts? Because <laughs> yes. I have. <laughs> I'd rather do the manual yeah. way. That being said, there is a JavaScript interface now into scripting the Mac, but I've also tried to use that and to very it's, little success. It's still terrible. Like the docs, yeah, the documentation is just like, I can't, it's inscrutable. How do I even yeah. use it? Like I understand JavaScript, but I can't use this API. Yeah. Big thanks to our partners, Linode, Fastly, and LaunchDarkly. We love Linode. They keep it fast and simple. Check them out at linode.com slash changelog. Our bandwidth is provided by Fastly. Learn more at fastly.com. And get your feature flags powered by LaunchDarkly. Get a demo at LaunchDarkly.com. What's up, JS Party people? Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? Well, with Raygun Error and Performance Monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to quickly find and fix errors and performance issues across your tech stack down to the line of code. Raygun makes it easy to monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify issues across web and mobile apps, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers. This saves you time, this saves you money, and this saves your sanity. Head to Raygun.com to join thousands of customer-centric software teams who use Raygun every single day. Again, Raygun.com to give them a try with a free 14-day trial. is JS Party, your weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. We take requests, just like your favorite wedding DJ. You can head to jsparty.fm slash request and let us know what you'd like to hear about on the pod. We also have an awesome back catalog. Find our recommended and popular episodes at jsparty.fm. Okay, let's get into it. Hey, it's party time, y'all. Oh, hi. I didn't see you there. I was just attending the pep rally for JS Party. <laughs> and now I'm jacked. I'm Jared, your internet friend. And I'm joined by my friend, Nick Nisi. What's up, Nick? Ahoy, hoy. Hi, jacked. Are you a dad? <laughs> yes. That's usually, hi, jacked. I'm dad. <laughs> you didn't quite finish the line, but I appreciate the effort anyways. Team effort. And it's just you and me here today. But I brought you something. I hope you appreciate it. A little gift from me to you. Can't play any more of it. Otherwise, we'll get demonetized again. But that was a good 12 seconds. I was trying to think of what the kids said at the end of it. I have not heard that song in a long time. All I remember is Will Smith saying, Daddy loves you. Daddy loves you. (laughs) I don't remember the kid's line. I think it was actually his son, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. Making him famous at a very young age. Of course, the Dr. Evil version with Mini-Me is uh, even better, <laughs> in which he says, Mini-Me, you complete me. That's a set of movies that I haven't seen in a long time that I've been thinking about, <sighs> but I'm, I'm just... Uh, Austin Powers? Yeah. I just worry that they won't hold up. I have a feeling they do, because I still quote them on a regular basis. So maybe like parts won't hold up, but there's got to be good stuff in there. Yeah. I mean... I eat a baby, you know, <laughs> gold member. I love gold. I mean, there's lots of stupid things <laughs> that are funny still, to me at least, but I'm perpetually 12 years old, I think. 
Well, I have a question for you, Nick. Do you like April Fool's Day? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> but here we are. It's April Fool's Day. Uh, probably the worst day on the internet, isn't it? Mm-hmm. For sure. So bad that none of our friends showed up for Jazz Party. They're just like, <laughs> we're just going to peace out and not be on the show today because we, we want to avoid internet. <sighs> but here we are. It's April Fool's, and so none of the headlines can be believed. So based on that... I came up with this cool, you decide if it's cool. I came up with this game called Head Lies. Now, it's not Head Lice. That would be gross. It's Head Lies, like fake news, you know? And I thought I would pitch it to you today, live on the air. Okay. But first, let's talk about some of the big news that came out. This is real news that launched this week. Kind of a big deal, it seems like. I just wanted to get your take on it, which is the Dino Land folks now have their own company. So Ryan Dahl and Bert Belder wrote at the beginning of this week announcing the Dino Company. And they're taking it official. They've raised money, $4.9 million of seed capital from folks from Four River Ventures, uh, Guillermo Rauch from Rauch Capital. We know him from Vercel and Next and those things. Lee Jacobs from Long Journey Ventures, the Mozilla Corporation. Shasta Ventures and uh, a longtime collaborator, Ben Nordwies, all invested up to almost $5 million into this deal. And now Dino is like this official business now. Yeah. So can you maybe explain it to me? Like what, what they're actually doing? Like you're five? <laughs> <laughs> it's a limited liability. Court. No. Um, what are they doing? So I don't know exactly what they're going to do. I will tell you that they're not going to do an open core business model, which would be where they provide certain features of Dino in some sort of like an open source core and then build on top of that around it more advanced or pro or premium features of Dino and make that, you know, what you pay for. They're not doing that. In fact, the software is MIT licensed and will retain the MIT license. In fact, Ryan says in their post, Dino, for Dino to grow and be maximally useful, it must remain permissively free. We don't believe the open core business model is right for a programming platform like Dino. We do not want to find ourselves in the unfortunate position where we have to decide if certain features are for paid customers only. That's really the rub with these open cores is like deciding what goes where. And there's a conflict of interest at different times and it can be difficult to navigate that successfully. When they say, if you watch our conference talks, you'll find we've been hinting at commercial applications of this infrastructure for years. We are bullish about the technology stack we've built and intend to pursue those commercial applications ourselves. Our business will build on the open source project, not attempt to monetize it directly. So that's what they're saying now, you know, TBD, what exactly all that means. There is on the new Dino.com, so they probably shelled out some of that $5 million on getting Dino.com because it's always been Dino.land, and now they have Dino.com because it's official. They have a new deploy section, which seems to hint at their first potentially commercial offering. Yeah. I just don't know exactly what that is. Did you check out that deploy thing? Yeah, that does seem to be like the first product from the Dino company, I guess you could put it. That's what I was trying to like understand, like in terms of, I guess what I already know, they call it a globally distributed JavaScript VM. So it's a V8 runtime where you can run your JavaScript, your TypeScript, your WebAssembly code, 
uh, at the edge worldwide is what they say. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to understand is this like a their own custom like way to run Dino as like a like a lambda function type thing? Is that comparable or it seems like that's what it is yeah probably competing with cloudflare workers and netlify functions at whatever their netlify's functions thing is called but can't all these other providers just run dino as well and do the same thing it seems like you know maybe they'll have some secret sauce that makes it like fast or cheap or whatever way they can compete and make it better than what the other these other cloudish things are providing uh, kind of that's why I say it's kind of to be determined on whether or not there's a real value proposition there because anybody can spin up the Dino runtime and run it in a some sort of a VM or container environment and provide you access to that right I think yeah and it kind of what they're touting on in the blog post and on the Dino deploy landing page the runtime or the environment that you would deploy to is very similar to the Dino CLI so it makes it really seamless for development because you just you run it basically the same way and pass it in for the cloud version. And then also, I think in the blog post, they're touting the ability, like one of the key features of Dino is it's kind of different take on the security model, right? a JavaScript runtime, mm-hmm. where specifically when you run Dino just by itself, you don't have access to the network. You don't have access to the file system. You don't have access to any of this. Yeah. And it... What I got from this is that if you don't allow those flags in what you're actually deploying, then that portion of the Dino runtime just doesn't ship. There's absolutely no way to do any kind of file system stuff if it's not. That's cool. Yeah. It's kind of annoying. Have you done any Dino? So I've done some just toying with it lately, just building a couple of things that are kind of like, I would normally write these just in Ruby or in Node or whatever. And I'm like, well, I'll just try Dino out just for like utilities and scripts. And I actually found that those command line flags are kind of annoying. <laughs> and I get it. I think it's probably worth the trade-off at the end of the day. But like allowing file system access, allow dash dash allow env is one, like just to get at an environment variable. Yeah. And so it is definitely a trade-off. And I find it to be kind of annoying for writing scripts, but maybe that's just not the main use case for Dino's scripting. Yeah. So I mean that really puts it, it kind of flips it, right? Because it's if you write a script and give it to me to run you have to tell me exactly how to run it too. And right. you as the script writer, do you have to then do the checks? Like, do I have access to the environment variable? Nope. Throw up this error message. Or Yeah. Or does the thing just blow up? Right. Cause I mean, if you try to run it without, it will just error out. Like the runtime just errors out. It says I can't run the script cause I need access to this and I don't have it. So it, it tells you run it again with dash dash allow env. And so that's nice. But yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think, Ultimately, that trade-off was one that they were very serious about making. And so kind of putting a stake in the ground and saying, well, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. because." And it sounds like if, if that's the case, if you can ship these like miniaturized container runtimes that don't even have the dangerous stuff in them in those cases, right? Like it can't actually access the file system because it doesn't even have those bits anywhere in the binary and it's just not going to work. I think that's pretty cool for security. Yeah. Dino is... Like I haven't really taken too much time to play with it, although it's definitely on my my list of things to look into. And going back to that runtime, that's really like the the appeal of it to me. I, I think the mm-hmm. most right now is the idea that you can write your scripts. Like if I'm thinking of things that I would want to do, it'd be like command line applications where I'm writing stuff right. in Bash right now, and I, I write it in Bash because I know that Bash is probably on your system, and there's not really like a need to 
you know, to NPM install anything or, or set up anything like that. And that's uh, like a knock against Node and why I don't write command line stuff like that because I consider like global modules to be like ephemeral and you'd have to like provide like a, an NPM install and then get all of that and then you'd be able to run the script. But with Dino, it sounds like you can create like an executable that has the entire runtime and everything you need in it and then just ship that. Yeah, single binary. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the the big things which is spectacular for distribution, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. That's that's one of the big things that I've seen go being hoisted up as like being a, a really great way to build mm-hmm. these completely self-contained binaries that contain everything you need. It's a really good language for creating those command line scripts if you need it without having to worry about what's actually available on the system. And now, like, I really like this because now I can do it with JavaScript and it's a lot easier. Yeah, exactly. We actually just shipped an episode of GoTime all about releasing and there's a project called Go Releaser. And a lot of the conversation on that episode is with Go, I just create a universal binary and then I just like send that where it needs to go. What kind of release process do I need? You know, so some of the argumentation was like, is this even necessary to have these like release tools? Because it really is as simple as, you know, generating that binary and then you can FTP it, you can SSH it, you can drop it in your Slack channel, you could probably email it if it's small enough and pass it around. And as long as it's been compiled for, you know, everybody's architectures, which it has for for the most part, it's just going to work on everybody's machines, which has been one of the reasons that Go has uh, really succeeded. I think that's a huge advantage that Dino has over Node. And I'm sure there's Node efforts to provide tooling around making that be a thing, but having it built right into the project and being a first party thing is I think going to be something that sets it apart. Totally. In terms of the business side, I'll just say like, you know, to Ryan Dahl and the team, like, you know, congrats, go ahead and get that money, get that sustainability there. We know last time around, I don't remember the entire history of Node.js, but I know like Ryan created this awesome thing and many people got involved and there's lots of early adopters and lots of other people working on it as well. And he left the project. It went on from there. And it seems like this time, you know, he worked at Joyent and there was, you know, IP issues. There's lots of stuff that went in and out of that. NPM came along and made a big business around the package management side. And this time it's like, I feel like, you know, Ryan is trying to correct a lot of his mistakes with Node is the way he kind of set out with Dino. You know, he came out with that talk, 10 mistakes, 10 things I regret about Node. And then Dino was kind of his new idea of fixing those things. And it seems like maybe Dino, the company, is him trying to fix another maybe mistake that he made last time around with Node. Mm -hmm. And so I hope it works out for him. Yeah, yeah, I hope so too. It's it's always good to see uh, attempts at sustainability around open source. And I, I really hope it works out. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Sourcegraph. Sourcegraph is code search for every developer and team. And in this segment, I'm talking with Byung Lu, co-founder and CTO of Sourcegraph. And he's sharing exactly how code search works and how it will work for you and your team. So Byung, I want you to share exactly what code search is and how teams can use it. So Adam, I think the best way to describe Sourcegraph is that it's this single search and exploration tool that encompasses the entire universe of code that you might care about. 
And that includes all the code inside your organization, code written by other teams, as well as code that might be external to your organization. For example, open source dependencies that you're pulling in. So it's a single portal, a single search box that lets you type in a string literal or a regex pattern and instantly search across all that code and jump to the specific points in that code that you're interested in learning about. And then it becomes this interface that allows you to easily navigate and build up a mental model of how that part of code works. So whether it's trying to find a needle in a haystack that you're concerned about or trying to find uh, examples of how to use a, a particular unfamiliar library or package, or maybe you just wanna jump to a bunch of places in code that you can then link to and discuss with teammates. And this is all in the service of eventually getting back into your editor so that you have all the context, all the information that you need to know about the area of code that you're modifying and get back into that flow state where you're just coding at the speed of light and you feel like you're, you're making rapid progress towards that bug fix or, or that feature that you're currently building. All right, if code search powered by Sourcegraph sounds like something you and your team can use, head to info.sourcegraph.com slash changelog and click the button that says try Sourcegraph now. You can install locally, deploy it to a server or to a cluster. They have a quick start guide that takes less than five minutes to install Sourcegraph using Docker, so it's too easy to give it a try. Again, head to info.sourcegraph.com slash changelog. Okay, let's find out who is an April Fool and who's going to April drool. I don't know. That didn't really work out. We're going to play a game called Head Lies. I've gathered a bunch of real headlines along with the first paragraph from the story. I've also gathered and written some fake headlines along with the first paragraph to those stories. Here's how it's going to work. The headline will be presented, at which point Nick... You can guess true or false with two points on the line. So if you're wrong, I get the points. If you're right, you get the points. Or you can opt to hear the first paragraph before guessing with only one point on the line. So you can hear more, but you win more for getting it correct. Now, at the end of the day, you got a 50-50 shot on all these, right? Mm -hmm. So you could always just guess, and you're going to have to guess. And we'll see who comes out the victor. Sound like fun? It sounds like every other game that we try and play, and my best <laughs> shot is to not play. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I do hope I win, as always. Mostly, I just hope that this is entertaining for everybody involved. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. Here's the first headline. Apple adds two brand new Siri voices and will no longer default to a female or male voice in iOS. Now, you can guess true or false with two points on the line, or you can hear the first paragraph of the article. That is true. Congratulations, you got it. I've already listened to Accidental Tech Podcast today, so. Ah! <laughs> All right, so you're winning two to zero. Not fair, you heard that headline. All right, next one, are you ready? I'm ready. Engine raises nearly $19 million to build polka dot based blockchain for NFTs. <laughs> That sounds like a real heady headline <laughs> for sure, but okay. InGen makes me think of the Jurassic Park company, so I'm going to say it's false. You're going to say it's false. Oh! Sorry, you are incorrect. It was true, or it is true. No way. Yes. Blockchain development firm Engine has raised $18.9 to 
build a Polkadot-based blockchain network, especially for non-fungible tokens. The network, dubbed Efinity, will have its own to token called Efinity Token. The funding has been secured by selling EFT tokens. There you go. Those fools were too busy worrying about if they could. They didn't stop to think whether they should. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, very nice. Jurassic Park pull in there. All right, so that that the score is tied. I'm back <laughs> at it. It's zero to zero. You've lost two. Now remember, if you're not sure, you can listen to the first paragraph and give yourself a little more information, or you can just keep you know gambling it all. all right. Be ready for your next one. I'm ready. Google's Alphabet invests fifty million dollars in soup startup. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, uh, go ahead think out loud tell me your thought process here well alphabet's a real company they yes a soup startup uh i think i do want to hear the, the paragraph. do you want to hear more yeah. okay here's the first paragraph of the article if you need more indicators of easy access to capital in today's speculation craze market look no further than a silicon valley startup called souped up which announced today they've raised $100 million in a Series B round that is led by none other than Google's parent company, Alphabet. Stooped Up applies advanced machine learning techniques to bring low-cost canned goods to developing nations and indigenous peoples. That's a mouthful. Okay. It seems more plausible, but <laughs> Igor in the chat says Alphabet Soup. Uh, I'm going to say it's not real. You're going to say it's not correct, so it's a false, it's a headline. Yeah. You are correct. I made that one up. But I had you going, didn't yeah. I? Nice. <laughs> For sure. I was going to ask if you used GPT-3 to make that. <laughs> to generate these. <laughs> well, that would require way more forethought than I put into this. <laughs> and skill, which I hold very little of. All right, you're now winning one to nothing. You got one point for getting that one correct. And yes, the uh, alphabet soup really was the funny bit, I thought. Okay, next headline. Carbon labels are coming to your shampoo bottle. Carbon labels are coming to your shampoo bottle. Mm. That's correct. <laughs> I want to hear the paragraph on this one, too. <laughs> okay. Uh, shoppers have been able to use nutrition labels to choose low-salt meals or reduced sugar cereal. Now some companies want to use labels to help them pick everything from shampoo to milk based on products' carbon emissions. Mm. I hope this is true. Mm. I'm going to go with that. There's no hopium here. Is it true or false? It's true. All right. You got it. All right. You're not winning two to zero. These next few are all Florida Man headlines. <laughs> are you familiar with Florida Man? Yes. Okay. <laughs> You're about to be even more familiar with Florida Man. Why don't you explain Florida Man just in case any of our listeners aren't familiar? Okay. Well, why don't you go ahead and explain Florida Man? <laughs> what, do you, what do you think of him? Oh, uh, anytime you see some ridiculous article, it usually starts with, Florida man, like Florida man gets head stuck in alligator or something like that. Like, yeah. So there's this canonical Florida man that is always getting into hijinks. That's right. These are three of those. The first one is Florida man gets beat up by Santa Claus. <laughs> True. <laughs> True? <laughs> yep. I'm sorry, that's incorrect. Turns out it was the Easter Bunny. Oh, <laughs> uh, and with that... It's now zero zero again. You're back at zero. <laughs> the full story is a Florida man received a beatdown from the Easter Bunny, and the whole thing was caught on video. It all started when the man bumped into a woman, and words were exchanged. Uh, the Easter Bunny hopped into action and proceeded to demonstrate what happens when you're. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I rewrote it. <laughs> I was trying to read the original. I'm reading mine. I changed it to Santa leaped into action and proceeded to demonstrate what happens when you're naughty or not nice. <laughs> 
the fight was eventually broken up by Orlando police and a bystander. So yeah, everything there is true except for it was the Easter Bunny and not Santa Claus. And I changed the puns. Uh, I think it said the Easter Bunny showed what happens when he pulls out his fists of fury or something stupid <laughs> like that. I don't know. Anyways, that one is false. I should get a half a point because I refuse to believe that if you went back far enough, there's not some article about a Florida man <laughs> fighting Santa. <laughs> oh. Well, if you can find the link behind the show, I'll edit it back in. All right, next one. Florida man with state tattooed on head calls 911 for a ride home. Florida man with state tattooed, like the word state or the state of Florida? I can't provide any more context unless you want the paragraph. Do you want the paragraph? Yeah, I'll do the paragraph. All right. A Florida man with his favorite state tattooed on his forehead was arrested after calling 911 multiple times requesting a ride home. A deputy who found the Florida man offered to call him a cab, but he said he didn't have money for one. He then began to walk in the direction of his home, then called 911 a second time, again requesting a ride. The same officer caught up with him and arrested him while he was on the line. That sounds real. That one's real. One point. We've all been there, Florida man. We've all been there. <laughs> you ever had the state of Nebraska tattooed on your forehead? <laughs> all right, last one. Florida man... Breaks into home, sucks on sleeping man's toes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. What do you think? <laughs> I think that it's false, but I want to hear the paragraph just so I can hear that and just assume that you wrote that. Okay. And I just want to hear what you, what you would write about there. Uh, the incident occurred on Christmas Eve. According to the resident, he awoke to find the Florida man at his feet, who then proclaimed that he broke into the home, quote, to suck toes. <laughs> he then attempted to fondle the man, according to the police report. After the two got into a fight, the Florida man smashed a window and the victim's windshield before making an escape. No arrests have been made. <laughs> I think it's false. I think it's a lie. And you are false. That is 100% true, my friend. <laughs> And with that, you're back at zero. This is going very well. You get one right, you get one wrong. Get one right, get one wrong. I wish that wasn't true as well. <laughs> <laughs> that is terrible. Okay, the next headline. Rapper Flava Flav in hot water after exposing himself during Cameo. <laughs> I have seriously looked at getting a Cameo from Flava Flav, so <laughs> I hope that's not true. But I'm going to say that it is true. You're saying it's true. Oh. I made that one up. Oh. It was somebody else, right? No, I just completely made it up out of whole cloth. <laughs> you want to hear the paragraph I wrote for it? I do. Okay. I'll let you know that you have negative one now, so I'm officially winning. William Jonathan Drayton Jr., widely known by his stage name Flava Flav, may face charges for a video he produced on Cameo, a service where people hire celebrities to create brief videos and share them with their friends. The video in question was for a woman's 40th birthday, and according to Drayton, the customer requested quote, something special for his biggest fan. Pretty believable, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that one might get on over on you. Although, I think that would make some sort of bigger news. Like, you probably would have heard about it, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe not. There's lots of ridiculous things on the news. <laughs> okay. You now have negative one. You're digging out of the, the red. Are you ready? I'm ready. There's one, two, three. There's four more. Next headline. Internet's Hide the Pain Herald accidentally used by Swedish COVID-19 vaccine website. Do you know Hide the Pain Herald? I do. You know that guy? Yeah. Okay. It's the, the old guy holding a mug, right? Yeah, and he's smiling. Yeah. But you can tell on his face that he's actually like in seriously in pain <laughs> or 
hates his life or whatever. Yeah. Some people use it all the time when you're like acting like you're okay. I actually watched a uh, Where Are They Now with that guy on YouTube. Oh, really? <laughs> Where is he now? He's enjoying it. He gets noticed on the street and, and people want to take pictures with him. Yeah, because wasn't he just like a, it was like stock photo, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So he'd been doing it for years and, and never anything come of it. And then. And someone just noticed like this, <laughs> this guy's eyes tell a different story than his <laughs> lips, you know, his smile. That's cool. He's living up. He's an internet celebrity now. Yeah. Internet's hide the pain herald accidentally used by Swedish COVID-19 vaccine website. You're at negative one. So you can guess, you can get the paragraph. If it's stock photography, how can it be accidentally used? Hmm. You know, like a private eye over there. <laughs> I'm going to say it's false. You're going to say it's false. And you fail once again. That one's true. So accidentally might be a editorial word used by the whoever is reporting this. Maybe it was on purpose, you know, but... I think if you're using stock photo, I think the point of like a, you know, these websites is like, it's a real person who's happy because they got their vaccine or something, but it's like, you know what I'm saying? But then he's hiding so the pain. So it was accidental. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah. He's hiding the pain. <laughs> and according to the health authority in Sweden, officials said on Tuesday evening that the image has now been removed. So it definitely was an accident because they got called out and they're like, okay, we're taking that one down. You would think that that would get the younger folks in to, to actually get the vaccine. Yeah. Like if Harold can do it, yeah. you know, I should be okay. <laughs> okay. The next one, Pringles to launch new lip balm product line. Oh man. <laughs> I want to hear the. You're at negative three. You want to hear it? Yeah. Kellogg company announced a new set of products from its iconic Pringles brand. The company said it would release a delicious lip balm with flavors such as salt and vinegar and sour cream and onion. <laughs> That can't be real. <laughs> but you're not sure, are you? I'm not. It's just like doing the internet on April Fool's Day. You never know. Is this real or not? <laughs> I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to say it's real. You're going to say it's real? Yeah. I made it up. Oh. Yeah. That was after one. So you got negative four there. Or total negative four. Oh, I'm feeling pretty happy at this point. I feel like I got, <laughs> I got you just never knowing what's true. All right, two more. 330 million Americans sue Cardi B for psychological damage. It's true. <laughs> nope. <laughs> this one <laughs> This one came off the Onion or one of those satire sites. I did not write that one. <laughs> but it's believable. Okay. <laughs> You're now at negative six. You're failing miserably. And uh, you would have been better off not having played, as you said at the top. <laughs> Last one. U.S. man returns from swift shopping trip to find 15,000 bees in his car. <laughs> I feel like I saw this one, so I'm going to say it's true. All right. Yeah, that's right. You got the last one right, which puts you at negative four. So still a big loser. <laughs> but it feels nice to get the last one correct. Yeah, apparently this guy went shopping uh, in New Mexico, came back. There was 15,000 honey bees who had gotten in through an open window while he spent 10 minutes buying groceries. Astonishingly, the man did not notice the sudden presence of a giant swarm of buzzing insects on his vehicle's backseat until he was driving away. What? Yeah. So he must have been distracted because how do you miss it, right? Yeah. And I just wonder what they were doing. Why would they want to be in his car? I don't know. Maybe there was something sweet in there. You know, bees swarm and sometimes they'll leave their hive and swarm somewhere else around specific sources of food or something. I don't know. Bees me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, with that, we finish Head Lies. 
I would say it was a big victory for me, at least. If you enjoyed this segment, please let us know, and we will do it again. Otherwise, we'll banish it to the forest recesses of the internet, never to be seen again until April Fool's Day, 2022. This episode is brought to you by our friends at O'Reilly. Many of you know O'Reilly for their animal tech books and their conferences, but you may not know they have an online learning platform as well. The platform has all their books, all their videos, and all their conference talks. Plus, you can learn by doing with live online training courses and virtual conferences, certification practice exams, and interactive sandboxes and scenarios to practice coding alongside what you're learning. They cover a ton of technology topics, machine learning, AI, programming languages, DevOps, data science, cloud, containers, security, and even soft skills like business management and presentation skills. You name it, it is all in there. If you need to keep your team or yourself up to speed on their tech skills, then check out O'Reilly's online learning platform. Learn more and keep your team skills sharp at O'Reilly.com slash changelog. Again, O'Reilly.com slash changelog. All right, we're going to finish up today's show with some shout outs. And I'm going to go first. I'm going to give a shout out to a tool and some people that we're using right now that I've been appreciating quite a bit lately. HackMD, which you'll find at hackmd.io. It is a online collaborative markdown based writing tool. So think about Google Docs and how crappy the UI (laughs) and the everything and writing in there and copying and pasting out of it. Think about all that. And just don't you ever have Google Docs? You're like, I just want to write in Markdown, you know? And there's Dropbox Paper, which is better because you can kind of write in Markdown, but then it formats things weird, and then you can't copy it out exactly the same, and they have a lot of uh, unfurling they do. And I'm just like, please, stop unfurling. I just want the link to just sit there anyways. Not a huge fan, although I would take Paper over Docs. And now I would take HackMD because it's basically exactly what I would want. It is a Markdown editor, and it even has that cool split view where the left-hand side is what you write and the right-hand side is the rendered version. You can toggle that off and on. So you can go like full writing mode, full viewing mode, or split screen mode. But it has all the nifty collaboration tools, you know, that you'd expect from like a Google Docs or a Dropbox paper just by sharing the URL, which is my favorite thing. Like give me a URL, right? Make it a obfuscated one so it can't be easily found and just pass it around. Now they do have settings you can set up like who can read, who can write. It gets more complicated, but like the base use case is super simple. And that's what I love about it. I love web tools that allow me just to share quickly and get people involved. We've been using it for JS party uh, documentation or not documentation, like scratch sheets while we're sharing uh, to do the show for a while. I've been doing it for all, a lot of my blog writing. I've been doing it for pretty much everything for the last, I don't know, six months or so. And today, because of April Fool's, it turns out, I've realized they also have Vim mode. And the reason why I found that out, I thought maybe this was actually an April Fool's joke. And I was like, please don't let this be fake. I want this to always be here. But it has existed for a while. I just didn't notice it. Today, for April Fool's, in the menu bar, they did put this like April Fool's joke, which is like the Nyan cat. They called it a red panda, which I'm not sure if that's like a different meme. But 
it's like a progress bar with like the red panda walking across. And that drew my eyes down. And I saw on the right-hand side, they have different settings, such as do you want to use tabs or spaces? Of course, everybody picks spaces. And you want to have two or four, and everybody picks two. But you can also set your editor. And they have Sublime, and they have Emacs, and they have Vim. So you get your Vim key bindings in your browser, collaborative, share via URL, with lots of cool keyboard shortcuts and all the bells and whistles. I just really like this tool. So shout out to the folks at HackMD. I did put some tweets out today and they responded regarding this Vim thing, ensuring me that it's not an April Fool's joke. It's actually a real feature. And I decided to invite him on the show. So I think it's all open source. I saw they have like 56 open source repos on there. GitHub, I think they're over there in Taiwan. So they've agreed to come on. I'm not sure how it'll work out, timing and whatnot. And if they're native English speakers or anything like that. But cool technology, open source, all built with webby tools. And I'm a big fan. So shout out to HackMD. Yeah, that's awesome. I saw your tweet about the Vim mode. It made me wonder what is special about Sublime mode versus anything else, any other editor. Yeah, I don't really know... So I brought a lot of my Sublime shortcuts into VS Code. So I'm not sure what VS Code's defaults are because I just kind of thought they were the same, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of keyboard shortcuts. I wonder how different those, like stock Sublime text versus stock VS Code, if those are similar. Of course, a lot of the editors used are borrowed from Emacs, you know, which is a lot of the control-based shortcuts mm-hmm. and not modes. So maybe there's an Emacs and there's a Sublime. I don't know the difference between the two. I think it defaults to Sublime because that's what I was in before I realized you could toggle it. But I'm not really sure. They have a question mark operator. Let me see. A lot of times you can do question mark and just they'll open up a keyboard shortcut, you know, overlay, which tells you what all things do. But oh yeah, doesn't seem to be working, at least in Vim mode. In Vim mode, it opens up to do a, a regex search. That's right. Is that what Vim does? Uh, slash does, which it also does in here. Yeah, so forward slash I do. I never hit question mark to do a regex in Vim, but I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if it did that as well. Now, I've only used it in Vim mode for probably like two hours, and all of my normal navigation is working. So like DD to the little line, colon one goes to the top, shift G goes to the bottom, like all the things I'm used to, but I wonder how uncanny valley it gets the more you use it. How are they achieving this Vim support? And is it going to be one of those things where it supports like 80% of Vim key bindings, but then, you know, your favorite tip and trick doesn't work? I don't know. Haven't used it long enough to know that, but it is good enough for me to enjoy it so far. Yeah. And real-time follow-up, I did not know this, but question mark does actually do regex search, but backwards. Backwards meaning starting at the bottom of the document and working up? Starting from your cursor and looking up rather than down. Oh, that's nifty. I did not know that because I've never used it. I use slash all the time. Right. But it's the and it's shift slash. So it's like oh, it makes yeah. sense, right? It's the same key. Yeah. Just one with a shift key. So one goes one way, one goes the other. T I L right here, live on JS Party. <laughs> I got a story that I'm going to tell. You're gonna love it, baby. Think it's well. Today, TIL. <laughs> TIL, there we go. I stalled for you. We're still doing shout outs. Do you have a shout out, Nick? Shout us out. I was going to shout out also a thing, and that is it's an app called Keyboard Maestro. Have you heard of it? I have heard of it. I do not know what it does. So please tell me. So it does a lot, but it lets you set up 
automations basically on your on your Mac. It's a, a Mac program. And it lets you like up so that, you know, when I hit these specific keyboard shortcuts and I can have it like specific to an application. So I can say when Slack is in the foreground and I press question mark, question mark or something like that, then run this script or I can have it like I can record a macro and have it actually like move my mouse around and quickly do something or I can have it select from a menu and you Mm -hmm. can mix and match these all together to build cool automations that do a lot of different things. And so I started playing with this and uh, I also have a stream deck and stream deck is, it's like a little device that has, mine has 16 buttons and all of the buttons have, uh, are like little LCD screens. So you can set what each button is and I can trigger keyboard maestro um, macros from that. And so I can push a button and have it do things like, like turn my lights on and off. And I can also have it do things like automatically open up audio hijack and get ready for a zoom meeting and get ready to record or have it automatically start recording and kind of combine them all together. So then I just push a button and it can do things like layout windows. So I have it like moving windows where I want on my screen. So everything is not overlapping and it's all readily visible for me. And then it can start recording and turn my lights on and do all of this really cool stuff. It's a, a pretty cool way to do some some simple and complex automation on your Mac. That is cool. So it's actually driving like the mouse around and everything as well, right? It it's can. not just, yeah, it can. So you can like say, go to this area of the screen and click here mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Yep. It's got a little recorder too, so you can just record and then do it once and it'll figure out what to do from there. So it'll like, from there, it'll be like, oh, you know, I click in, instead of Tweetbot, and then click, you know, 60 pixels from the right and 120 pixels from the top, click right there. So it's like relative to where the window is or relative to the mm. the window edges and then go from there. That sounds a little fickle. Yeah, it can be, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like if you change the size of your Tweetbot window, it's broken. Yeah. Well, now you know about my unit tests. So. <laughs> <laughs> So is this a free app? Is it a paid app? Is it Mac only? What's the... It is Mac only. It is not free either. I forgot how much it is. $36 American. It's pretty cool. Just being able to set these things up and have automatically set my workspace up the way I want it for different scenarios, whether that's writing code or looking at documentation or taking a meeting or doing a podcast. I can have it quickly switch and that's kind of the the um, main thing that I've been coming into it with is how do I set up my workspace without me having to manually like move windows around and set things mm-hmm. up exactly how how I always want them. It's just now a button click away for me. Yeah, that's nice. So I have this laptop and I I don't dock it, but I plug it into things. Right, I come, I have a separate monitor, and I have you know my interface, etc., to plug into. And then I want to leave my desk and take my laptop downstairs and I do that and everything kind of like munges into one screen. So I kind of have two modes of computing on this thing. I have like my plugged in almost like docked mode and undocked mode. And it would be nice to have just like, I wish it would just detect like, hey, I just plugged into your second monitor. I'm going to do all of the, put everything back where you had it, you know, before you detached or something like that. Yeah. So I could get that done maybe with Keyboard Maestro and just have it do certain things. Does it trigger... Like it triggers on a keyboard shortcut or it trigger, can I have it trigger on an event? Yeah. 
So you could have it trigger on like mounting a particular volume, connecting to mm -hmm. a specific Wi-Fi. There's display okay. layout changed, which would probably be like going from an external monitor to your laptop. Exactly. And have it trigger based on that. So yeah, there's there's lots of different. That's cool. And then there's just simple things like you can just have it start up its own web server and then you can send it triggers. Like if you publicly expose that, you can just send triggers to it. Or from like your local network, you could have it, you know, I'm, I'm going to just post to this address and now my Mac's going to go do something. Or you can just have it like be a cron trigger. That sounds dangerous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you do this deal where you change the lights in your room there that you just demonstrated? Yeah. So that's actually connected with the, the Stream Deck software. It has a, a control center that is controlling them. Which is a piece of software that runs on right. your machine. And so Keyboard Maestro is just controlling that software. Right. Okay. So what would be a cool thing that you would run a web server and post to it from different parts of your house? Ooh, that is a good question. Can those uh, hue lights, can they do webhook kind of things? Like, can you configure those things to make, because this is like inbound request, right? Yeah. Like it's posting to your keyboard maestro web server. So something would have to be like pushing data or pushing an event, like the lights turned on. Maybe you could have it hook up to your, your switch as well. Like if you had a regular light switch and it turned on, if you could configure the hue lights to actually do that, they could make a post over to your web server and do something on your laptop, you know, control your laptop somehow Yeah. via some other switch in your house. Yeah, for sure. Pretty neat. Yeah. All I want is for my windows to go back where they were <laughs> when I unplug, yeah. man. That's all I want in my life. <laughs> I like this dance I do. Plug in, like, this is here. That goes there. That goes there. Oh, I'm back. I was like, this seems like a something a computer should yeah. do. <laughs> they can do it. That's the amazing thing. They can, but they won't without a lot of tomfoolery. Yeah, that's you know? what it always seems like. So it is. You're like, oh, this thing's not going to last. <laughs> you know, I've set up enough hacks in my life where I'm like, this hack isn't going to last. And nowadays, I just do the manual thing. I'm like, yeah, it, I can either set up the hack, maintain the hack. Or I can just do the manual thing for, you know. <laughs> and nowadays, I'm just like, I'm just going to drag the window every time until something that actually is like supported by the operating system. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> if Steve Jobs doesn't come back from the dead and do the feature for me, like I'm not going to have it. Like That's that's what has to happen. Well, I haven't looked into it too much, but there is Automator that comes standard with Macs. And you probably have to write Apple yeah. script, which is immediately something I don't want to look at. But you can do a lot of automation just natively on the Mac without any extra software. Yeah. So have you written Apple scripts? Because <laughs> yes. I have. <laughs> I'd rather do the manual yeah. way. That being said, there is a JavaScript interface now into scripting the Mac, but I've also tried to use that and to very it's, little success. It's still terrible. Like the docs, yeah, the documentation is just like, I can't, it's inscrutable. How do I even yeah. use it? Like I understand JavaScript, but I can't use this API, yeah. you know? Uh, uh, the only piece of Apple script that I've written, and I wrote it actually in Apple script and JavaScript, and that was to ask uh, music or Spotify what song is playing so that I can put that in my T-Bunk stock. And then the T-Bunk stock just refreshes every five seconds and asks what's playing right now, and it updates right there. And that broke in macOS Big Sur. And it broke in a really weird way where it just like throws an error that the object that I'm trying to grab from music doesn't exist, except it does mm -hmm. if I'm playing like a music file that is in my library. But if it's just like I'm listening to, you know, Apple Music mm -hmm. Radio, whatever that that's called, or like an Apple right. Music playlist that is not in my library, then it's like, whoa, I don't know what this is. And it just blows up. Wow. Yeah, that's life. The best Apple script I've written 
probably ever, but definitely lately, is one that we use for our clips, the way we make our clips, which is we actually use Keynote for our clips. And we write the text in a text document. So we, we pull the, the text out of our transcripts, and they're just marked down transcripts. So they're basically text with a little bit of formatting. And we just copy all those into a text document and just space it out. So it'll be like Jared and then a thing and then Nick and then a thing. And just format it according to what I came up with. And then you copy that into your clipboard. And then you open up Keynote and you execute this Apple script. And it actually scripts Keynote to go and parse the text and then like add a uh, slide for each one and paste it into there. And then it'll even go and switch like the active face and stuff like that. Wow. Super cool. It took me way too long, way too long to get this to work. But once it worked, it felt like magic because I hit paste. It's like a special, and then I, I attached that Apple script to a keyboard shortcut inside a keynote. So I just like execute it and it's like, and all these slides come into life. Do you like watch it as it's going? So cool. Is it recording? Like, does it start the screen show and then record that somehow? Or is that something manual? No. So that, it, it just pastes them in basically. And then you're just, like, you'll want to do some fixes and stuff from there usually. Cause like the way the words show up on the slide, it'll be like weirdly formatted. So like maybe like add a line or remove a line or shrink the text to make the text bigger. So you do all that. It's kind of like a QA phase. And then inside Keynote, they have an actual recording option which people use, I believe, to either pre-record their talks or to practice their talks and watch them back. So you can go into side keynote and say, like, record my talk, and it will display your talk, you know, on the screen, as well as your regular heads-up display. What do they call that? Like the speaker, the presentation mm -hmm. view. So you can see the timing, you can see the next slide, et cetera. And it will record what's on the screen and your voice and anything that's going through the system. So you can also add a back a soundtrack in Keynote as well. So like maybe you want to have like mood music while you're doing your talk. I don't these weird features of Keynote we're abusing them. So we drag the sounds into there and we just say like play and we record it and then we just hit the next button over and over again as it makes sense with the person talking. So you basically perform the the slide once in real time and then it records that and then you got your clip. Nice. Yeah. It still takes some work, but it's way less work than what the other way is, which is basically you like get most of these tools, you get all your clips into a thing, and then you have to like change the start and end times of every clip. And it's usually on like this side or every slide. And it's like this sideways horizontal scroll thing. Super annoying. And then uses up a bunch of RAM because it's like some Adobe thing or some web thing that just clogs the rest of your machine down. And it takes like an hour to do one good clip, and this way we can crank them out. But that automator was worth writing because I wrote it once, and we've used it hundreds of times. Yeah. you know, that's amazing. Sometimes computers are cool, <laughs> as long as we don't change the size of the window <laughs> or whatever, you know, until it breaks, and then I'll be cursing it again. Yeah. So, did you have to write a lot of Apple Script for that, or was it more of like recording macros type thing? I have the Apple Script here. At the end of the day, it's probably like 100, 150 lines. Okay. But getting to those lines, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I wrote probably 1,000 lines to get to the 150. Yeah. Because there's like certain ways you access the keynote object and you can like instruct it to do things and then pass it the data, but that's not the way. And every time that you change it, you have to like run through, you know, there's no automated test suite where I can just hit 
compile and run, you know, you have to like, so it took a long time, but I think it's not very much Apple script. And there are built-in things for like parsing a text file, not parsing it, but ingesting a text file and then looping over the lines and then just very basic regular expression stuff to like say, is this a start of a phrase or is this a person's name? That kind of stuff. Hmm. So, yeah. Nice. I tried to write it in JavaScript and I just couldn't figure it out. It wasn't the JavaScript's fault. It was their scripting API. Like Apple script JavaScript? Yeah. Like this is written in actual Apple script. But I was trying to use the JavaScript interface. The documentation just didn't, it was, I just couldn't figure it out. So I was like, well, the Apple script documentation is actually better. So that's going to be the difference. Even though the language is just terrible. Yeah. Tell this to do that. Like, it's like weird. Anyways, keyboard maestro, shout out to that and shout out to HackMD. That's our show for this week. We have a couple of cool episodes coming down the pipeline. Uh, next week, we're going to have the author of HTMX come on the show. This is a HTML over the wire solution. So similar to like Alpine or Livewire, excuse me, Phoenix Live View and Basecamp's new Hotwire stuff. So HTMX author is going to be on for also be back for that one as well. We also have Jen Creighton coming up soon. She is the host of the Single Threaded podcast. So stay tuned for that one and other cool things that I can't think of off the top of my head. But we appreciate you hanging out with us. If you liked Headlies, let us know because that's the only way we'll do it again is if people say, yeah, do it again. Otherwise, it was a one-hit wonder. And uh, yeah, that's Jay's party for this week. We'll talk to you next time. See ya. Thank you for listening to JS Party. We appreciate you spending your time with us. If you dig what we're putting out, please do tell a friend about the show. Personal recommendations are the number one way people find new podcasts they love. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Jared Santo. So I'm the guy to blame. But seriously, you should probably blame Nick. It's all Nick's fault. The music was produced by our beat freak in residence, Breakmaster Cylinder. JS Party is brought to you by awesome sponsors. Check out Fastly, Linode, and LaunchDarkly. Next up on JS Party, Faraz and myself invite Carson from Big Sky Software to the show. We're talking HTMX and HyperScript. Stay tuned for that. It'll be ready for you next week. Reading the ECMAScript standard literally changed my life. Like most people.